We cannot say that we've always been faithful to Him. But He has most certainly always been faithful to us. What a great God we have. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We've been making our way through uh, the giving, being able to give a reason to every man that asketh. To give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Just a reminder, this comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I want you to notice that that those three words or four words that is in you. That is in you. Those are precious words. When you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, so many things happened. You became part of the family of God. In fact, that's the greatest family in all the world. You were given a home in heaven that can never be taken away. You were adopted into the family of God. The Holy Spirit came to live in you. And the very moment you came to know the Lord, there was a hope that came in you. And this is something that is universal for all those who know Christ. We, for whatever reason, amazingly, know that we belong to God. That He is ours and we are His forever. It is only after a person comes to know the Lord that they can be filled with all kinds of different doctrinal doubts. It's sad when a person is saved and then they come to believe that they can lose their salvation. There is no hope if a person can lose their salvation. The hope that we have is this. And the word hope in its essence does not mean that there is a doubt about it. It means that there is something that is absolutely going to happen in the future. It just has not happened yet. And placed within us, I believe at the very moment the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, is this understanding that I belong to God forever and nothing can be taken away from this understanding, from this, 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 this uh, truth. By the way, even if you come to think that you can lose your salvation, it doesn't mean that you can, right? It is sad for me when I hear uh, from people who say that, that I might lose what I have been given. Or that I might one day give it back. <laughs> and if you truly know Jesus is your Savior, you are saved. And that forever. And by that very understanding, God desires that you know this as well. God has a very great use for your life. When God made you, He did not make you with this thought that this person is without use 
That this person is without, with, I do not, I do not, I'm not making this person with any thought of what they might do. Now, God does not need us in the sense that we can add anything to who God is or what He's capable of doing, but God did make us, and in His sovereignty, said, I want to use these people. To bring glory to me in the world. That's an amazing thing. God created all people. And when He created them, He did not create them with this thought, I hate that person. He created them with the thought that I love that person. If He was not going to love us, He would not have created us in the first place. But when God saved us, there was a hope that was placed in us. The hope that is in you. Many of you know how I came to know the Lord. I, I praise God that in college there were some men who, whose purpose it was to lead others to understand that Jesus died on the cross for their sin. I praise the Lord for my uncle who challenged me to make friends with Christians. Now I want you to know my full desire in going to college was to party and make friends by uh, by drunkenness and all the other ways in which young people try to fit in. You know, I lived a lot of my life not fitting in. A lot of my school age days were not fitting in. It was only until my junior year in high school that I said, I'm going to fit in. And fitting in came with all kinds of different sins. Now I was a sinner before that. Um, but I, I'm glad that God brought me through that period. You know, my mom and dad taught me a lot of things. We didn't grow up in a Christian home or or going to church, but I praise God that my mom and dad taught me that there were certain things that were right and there were certain things that were wrong. And I lived most of my life trying to live that way. I wanted to be the good boy until my junior year. I didn't want that anymore. I wanted to, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be the one made fun of. I didn't want to be the one that didn't have, uh, didn't have friends. I, I wanted to be popular. And so I, I set out for that, and when I went to college, I said, I've, I've figured that out, I know how to be popular, and I set out to do that. My uncle said, you sh-, he was a Christian, he said, you should be willing to be friends with Christians. I thought, well, I'm not so uh, dense as to be unwilling to be friends with people. <laughs> it was the first week in college that uh, there was a, a college ministry that, was, that had something called the grill and chill. <laughs> And so they grilled up burnt burgers and hot dogs and threw frisbees and footballs. And, and uh, I began to, to get to know some of the guys. And it turned out that a couple of them were on my floor and in my dorm. And we all got to be on the same flag football team together. Bridges 3. We were very creative in our naming of our football name. We're the third floor in the Bridges dormitory. So we were Bridges 3. And they were that way for three years. In the third year, we won the championship because we were good. But those guys, their desire was for me to know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It was the very reason they played flag football and to win. So we didn't play to lose. I'm glad they thought they didn't think that way either. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't want to play. But their desire and their prayer was that I might be saved. Other folks too. It wasn't until after I got saved that they said the summer that you went between your freshman and sophomore year, the summer between them, we prayed for you every day. Prayed for you every day. Little did they know that that summer I had determined to be a Christian. That summer I was going to be a Christian like those guys. No more drinking. No more swearing. No more of all that stuff. I'm done. I'm going to be a Christian. It's amazing how confused we can be about what a Christian really is. I said, I'm not going to be what I was anymore. I'm going to be like those guys. And so I set out to be a Christian without Christ. And it was miserable. It really was. It was filled with misery. Um, and the idea that, that not doing sins was the pathway to happiness is absolutely false. Being a Christian cannot be done by reforming your life. I'm glad that God brought me through that. I'm glad also that through it He didn't harden me against Christ in, in thinking that in, in my misunderstanding. And I went back and I, the, you know, the, the, my, the year of my freshman year, the guys would come knock on my door at, at 8.30 in the morning and, and they'd say, would you like to go to church with us? And I would tell them in no uncertain terms and maybe with a little French language that I did not want to go. But they didn't give up on me. And uh, that next sophomore year, I, I started to go to church with them. I went and bought a Bible. And, and uh, I remember being in a church similar to ours in, in many ways. And the pastor leading an invitation to come to know the Lord. And I didn't believe. But he said, if you don't believe, would you be willing to ask God to show you what's true? And I prayed that prayer. I remember sitting probably three or four rows on uh, the left side of a huge, much bigger auditorium than this. It fit about 5,000 people and asking the Lord to show me the truth. And it was within that next week, I think the first couple of days of the next week, that one of those guys gave me a little booklet called Ultimate Questions About God. That night I began to read through it and it got to the... the uh, towards the end and at the, the, the paragraph before the next little section... And said, if you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, there's no reason to read the rest of the book. I said, well then, I guess I won't read the rest then. He <laughs> said, I don't need to know the end of the book. I'll just put it down. And so I did. God is merciful. God, I'm glad I didn't die that day. But the next night I picked that book up. And I got to that point and I said, you know what? Jesus really did die on the cross for my sin. He really did rise from the dead. He's God. And He does love me. And He wants me to be saved. He wants me to be His. And I prayed the little prayer in there. I know prayers, uh, reading prayers and saying prayers are not magic, but what I prayed that night I meant with all my heart. <laughs> and that night He saved me. <laughs> it's funny, after that, I think as far as I can tell immediately, the drinking, I didn't do anymore. The cussing. It's funny after that, if, if you were to ask me, 
particular instances where I said bad words before I got saved, that would be impossible. That'd be like ask. That'd be like saying, "You want me to go back through every sentence and pull all the f words out?" But I can remember the instances that I've said bad words since I got saved. There haven't been many. The Lord did that. I began to read the Bible. I began to love my mom in ways that I never did before. I praise the Lord for what He's done there. And what I wanted more than anything after I got saved is for my folks to be saved, my brothers to be saved. I didn't know it, but my brother had gotten saved, my littlest brother. And I wanted other people to know the Lord. There's a hope that is in me that is in you too. And God wants to use you in the lives of other people by your life. You see, what God has done in and through your life is a testimony to those who who do not yet know Christ that God is real. When we are talking about giving people a reason for the hope that is in us, There's so much apologetically that we can talk about that is so filled with importance and I believe with all my heart we ought to know that Jesus is risen from the dead not because we have blinders on and we just believe what everybody says but there is a logical and obvious reason why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If you don't know that Jesus rose from the dead to not believe that Jesus rose from the dead it either means that you are uneducated in the events of history that went on or that you are blind in your faith that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You are saying, you know, despite all the evidence, I'm just not going to believe it because I just don't want to. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and there are plenty of reasons why. Before I got saved, I read more than a carpenter. I read uh, the questions to who rolled away the stone. And you know what? I could not come to the conclusion but that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, there are people still today that believe that the apostles stole the body. You know how ridiculous that is? You know what that would mean? Number one, it would mean that the apostles went and rolled away a two-ton stone with 16 soldiers there. With no battle, the soldiers just must have fallen asleep. There were 16 soldiers who were given the charge of making sure that nobody stole the body because Jesus had said that He was going to raise from the dead and they were there to make sure He didn't. Guess what? They couldn't do it. The idea that the apostles stole the body means that they were able to get through those 16 soldiers and sneak Him away. But let's say that He could. Let's say that the apostles were able to somehow do that. That would also mean that those apostles went to their graves one after another, after another, after another. And none of them thought to themselves, hey, I could keep from being killed. I just have to say that Jesus did not rise from the dead. But each and every one of them would not recant. Why? Because Jesus did rise from the dead. He was seen by about 500 people. I want you to know our faith in the risen Christ is not blind. It is filled with obvious historical logic. 
But we cannot discount the fact that Jesus has taken hold of our lives. And He has made us something that we weren't before. Now, this doesn't mean that He's transformed our personality. We, in so many ways, are who we were before, but we are not who we were at all. You say, how do you you figure that one? I'm not really sure. But I still love football. But I'm not going to give priority to football over Christ. I'm still a Red Sox fan. And I hope they win the World Series. But that's all I've got with the Red Sox is hope. Right? Because we still have Price, and I'm not sure about that guy. But I know this. That if the Red Sox don't win the World Series or the, the, uh, and that things don't work out exactly the way I want to, that Jesus Christ has taken hold of my life and He is mine forever, no matter what I do. Our lives before the unsaved is filled with possibility of glorifying Christ. Because He is doing great things in and through your lives. And His desire is that we see it, recognize it, and praise Him even in the midst of the unsaved. Would you take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm 126 with me? This is one of my favorite psalms. The Israelites, the the southern kingdom, had been taken captives in Babylon for 70 years. Generations had passed by. And then after 70 years, Darius, the emperor of the Medo-Persian Empire, said, Hey, you guys can go back. In fact, I'll give you some wood and, and materials. And we'll even give you the real expensive vessels that go in the temple. And you guys go back. Right? Nehemiah was told... He could go back and build the wall. The amazing thing is, and this is the sad part of it all, is that only a very small percentage of the folks that could have gone back did. But I want you to notice with those who said they would go back, what their heart was. And what the response was from those that saw them. In Psalm 126, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Have you ever looked back and thought about your life with Christ and thought, this is a lot like a dream. This is a lot like a dream, like something that just should not be and is so fantastic. Do you know... Have you ever thought back to what your life could be like without Christ? It's not too hard for me to see. Especially in the age of Facebook, I can see what a lot of my friends are doing today. Some of my friends have been divorced three times. I'm 38 years old. Some of my friends have done time in jail. Some of my friends are dead Because of the life that they've lived without Christ. 
And I'll tell you what, I can remember saying I'm going to be a Christian and I can also remember when I just, when I said, you know, I can't not be, I can't do this Christianity thing anymore and I got drunk and I drove home. That night I passed by three separate police cars with their lights flashing. I easily, easily could have been thrown in jail. I could have killed someone that night. I can remember it as clear as day driving from Western Coventry to West Warwick. And I praise God that I live in this seeming dream. It's not a dream. I'm not trying to to bring it into some weird thing, but because we know Christ, we live in a whole different realm than we would have. Jesus took us out of the kingdom of darkness and into His marvelous light. (laughs) Brethren, we have been taken from the captivity of the devil and been given the freedom of Christ. And we really are like them that dream. They felt that way when when they were told they could finally go back and it came in like a shock. This wasn't like a political movement where you know where it's coming from. All of a sudden they said you can go. And for us, for me at least, it was like all of a sudden I can go. I can go. I can be with Him. He's mine forever. Verse 2. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. It's a sad thing when Christians can't laugh. I'm not talking about laughing at the at disgusting things. But I'm talking about being able to laugh at our children as they play, as to be able to laugh at ourselves. I love dad jokes because they're so true. <laughs> and I, I have no problem when we're sitting around as a family and my kids are just kind of kind of laughing and, and uh, laughing at me. <laughs> I, I have no problem standing up here and giving an anecdote of my life and it leads to the laughter of God's people. <laughs> Laughter is not a bad thing. Laughter is a good thing. It's been made bad in so many ways by the world. But I, I praise God that in this fallen world that we can laugh and enjoy what's going on. Look what it says. And our tongue with singing. Some of the greatest moments of your life are going to be when you find yourself singing. Nobody's telling you to. Nobody's saying, hey, if you don't sing, uh, you're going to get called out. Or even a song leader getting up and saying, hey, let's sing with all our heart. I think we ought to sing with all our heart. Some of the greatest times of your life are going to be when you sing. And you're not even sure. You, you know why you're singing. But it's, it's not like it's prompted. Just all of a sudden, you're singing a song about Jesus. <laughs> all of a sudden, you're singing a song about the Lord. All of a sudden, you are singing with such uh, zeal. I love it when my daughters start singing. They don't know what they're singing. They just sing. 
The words are way off, but it's all about Jesus. The Lord's done great things for us, brethren. If you have a songless life, would you ask God to change that? Because you're missing out. Then they said, then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Now what prompted the heathen to say this? Their laughter and their singing. Their praise that came from their lips. In other words, were these things done in a closet? Were these things done in the privacy of their home? How could it? Something, the greatest thing that had ever happened to them just happened and they were not going to sneak around about it. They were filled with laughter and singing and praise. They didn't do this in the church building. They did it to where the heathen, the unbelievers, heard. What an amazing thing it would be for Christians to all of a sudden, not because we're, we're trying to build something up, but because God has done such a great work in our lives that at the grocery store we're humming hymns about Christ. Or at, at work we find ourselves saying, you know what, the Lord is just... Let me tell you about what the Lord did yesterday. As we recount our lives and our, our lives with other people, we give praise to God. And it's not that we're trying to uh, be fakes. By the way, the heathen can see it when we're trying to be fakes, can't they? The unsaved can see it when we're trying to be fakes. But we, but God has reminded us of how great He is and what He's done that we can't help but praise Him in the midst of anybody who might be there. And what did they say? What did they say? The heathen said, the Lord hath done great things for them. And the Lord has. Let me ask you, has the Lord done great things for you? If you are saved today, that most certainly must be true. You didn't save yourself. Verse 3, what was their response? The Lord hath done great things for us. You know, so often, we somebody who's unsaved, you'll find this to be true will we'll say, man, you know, you, you really seem happy today. Yeah, yeah, I, I do, I guess, you know. What was the response to their response? What was the Christian's response to the heathen's response to their joy? The Lord hath done great things, right? I don't know why we want to hide our joy from the unsaved. We want them to know. And this is what they did. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Why am I glad? Because the Lord hath done great things. Right? You know, we have something better than a Red Sox win or a Patriots win. We have something better than, than anything else that the, that those who do not know Christ rejoice in. Don't we? And so our lives do not have to go with the ebb and flow of what happens in our life because we have something greater to rejoice in. Our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. And God wants to use this so that the unsaved might know. 
You know, the Scripture does say that there, God gave some to be evangelists. That is true. He talks about there being gifts that God has given to where there are particular people who are very skilled at communicating the Gospel. We cannot say that everybody is equally skilled at communicating the Gospel. That would be ridiculous. It would be like taking reality and throwing it out the window. Some people, God has given great skill, great, a great gift to be able to communicate the Gospel. But God has done something great for each and every one of us by which we can communicate before the unsaved the greatness of God. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was the gifted man to get up and proclaim the gospel to thousands of people. But do you know what happened before he got up and proclaimed for a few minutes the gospel? All the rest of the 120 were out there saying how great God was. Read about it in Acts chapter 2. What were they doing? They were going through how great God was. Right? Where one man may have had the, the skill to stand up on a pulpit and communicate the gospel, everybody else was most certainly skilled at being able to communicate why they were out there with such zeal. Because God has done great things for us. And brethren, you have an opportunity to communicate to so many more people than I do, singly. In fact, sometimes I would like to be able to be out in the world and, and be able to communicate these things in the ways that's, that others are able to. You know, I, I can look back at my times working in McDonald's. McDonald's, not the funnest place in the world. But I remember me and another guy, we were Christians, and uh, God used us in McDonald's. My crazy friend would sing in the head headgear between orders the songs that he was singing on Sunday. <laughs> he was crazy. I remember standing, they wouldn't let me cook because I sweat too much. <laughs> But I could put to, I could put everything together, and uh, I remember talking to these two ladies and just talking to them about the gospel. And I praise the Lord for those times. I really do. And the Lord can do this in and through you. The Lord has done great things for us. Amen. Remember that. And give Him praise. Say, God, the God who made me and loves me, He's done great things. Why do I have the hope that I have? 
I tell you, I could, we could go through all the apologetic things, and we ought to. But maybe the single greatest apologetic or reason is what has the Lord done for me? He has saved me. He has given me new life. He has given me a home in heaven. He has done such things. He loves me. He loves you. May God help us to remember these things. And to be willing and able and ready to proclaim this great thing that the Lord has done. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In the quietness of the moment, would you pray for God's help in the, in the places where the unsaved are in your life? At work. At school. In maybe the playgroups between you and your children. Or at the playgrounds where you bring your children. You know, we, we, we don't want to remove ourselves from any experience with the unsaved. <laughs> but where are you where the unsaved are? In the quietness of the moment, would you ask God in those moments to remind you of how great He is? That in your mind and in your heart, you have a remembrance of Jesus. And that in the midst of that, even though you may be scared to say the name of Christ or to talk about how good He is, that He would give you the grace to speak about how great He is. When the unsaved respond and say, boy, the Lord has done great things for you. Your response is, yes, He's done great things for me. Would you ask God to help you? We need His help. Maybe you... Look back upon this past week and you see instances where you thought to speak for Christ, but you didn't. How many times I can look back? Would you with the Apostle Paul say, I leave those things which are behind and I press forward for those things which are ahead. You may say, Lord, I'm sorry for missing that time. Please forgive me. Lord, I want to look forward to the times that are ahead. I want to be ready to give an answer. Corey Tenboom's sister, Bessie Elizabeth. We hear a lot about Corey Tenboom. If you've never heard of Corey Tenboom, her and her family were 
Christians who hid Jewish people during the Nazi regime in their country. They were caught and thrown into the concentration camp. Bessie was always sickly. But in the midst of the concentration camp, in 1944, after they'd been there for several years, Bessie had three dreams that she said came from the Lord. Number one, that they would be out of the concentration camp by the end of the year. Number two, that they would take one of the concentration camps and make it into a ministry so that Nazis would be able to come and and find out the joy of the Lord. So the first thing was that they were going to get out of the concentration camp. The second thing, that one of them was going to be a place where they were able to minister to the Nazis. And the third thing, the third dream, was that all that would happen before the end of 1944. In the middle of 1944, Bessie died. She got out of that concentration camp because of a clerical error her sister Corey got out and by the end of 1944 Corey was able to go to the very concentration camp that was used to murder so many people and proclaim the love of Christ now what Corey remembers most about her sister was her countenance and undying love for Jesus. Corey was the one who went around the world proclaiming the gospel. Bessie was the one whose countenance, whose very life of praise, even in the midst of dire and deathly circumstances, gave Corey. All that she needed to be what she ultimately became. The story of Corey Ten Boom cannot be told without Bessie Ten Boom. And it was all because of the way she conducted herself. It wasn't that she gave the gospel every day. It was that she spoke about the greatness of God every day and to anybody. May God help us. Father, I pray that you would lift up and and lift and call out us as your people to be those who proclaim the goodness of God. That we would not hide it under a bushel, that we would not be a city set on a hill that is not filled with brightness. Help us. We pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brethren.